This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. With me, Laura Curran. Let's bring in Laura Curran, a member of the Democratic Party. Joining us now by phone, Laura Curran. Laura, good morning. Now, here's your host, Laura Curran. Hello, I am Laura Curran, and this is Cut to the Chase, where we delve into politics, media, culture, and current events. Real conversations about real issues that affect our lives, no matter where we are on the political spectrum. All right, let's get right to it. It's nice to meet you in person. Well, it's lovely to meet you. My guest today, you just heard his voice, is John McLaughlin. He is a Republican pollster. For 35 years, you've been a consultant and a pollster. You've worked for... A huge amount of people, ex-California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jeb Bush, Donald Trump, Steve Forbes. You have dozens of senators and congresspeople sitting and have gone. Anyway, you know a lot. I met you very briefly at a talk with my pollster on my campaign, Jeff Pollack from Global Strategies. And I really like the way, John, first of all, welcome. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I really like the way you speak in a very normal person kind of way. It's not a lot of jargon. It doesn't sound like inside the bubble kind of talk. And I just found that very refreshing. So I thought we could have a fun conversation about what's going on in the Republican Party after those crazy midterms and things just seem sort of topsy-turvy. So the first thing I want to ask you, John, is there's a lot of talk in the media and in government circles about Kevin McCarthy. Will he become the speaker? Does this matter to regular voters? Do they care about this palace intrigue? No, you're exactly right. Outside the Beltway, the Republicans have a very slim majority. And we were fortunate, like you talk about all these candidates we work for, you're only as good as the people you work for. Yeah. And they need to run for a reason. And sometimes my job is to help intersect with what they believe in, with what public opinion believes in, so they could win an election. Right. And this election... Republicans had a great opportunity to do better. I mean, yeah. it was a 68% wrong track election. That's what we found in our post-election poll. Right now, we just released a poll that's online, McLaughlinOnline.com on our website. December poll that was done as of December 14th. And 64% still think the country's on the wrong track. Yeah. And when you look at that, because your point about people, people, 60% of voters out there, and these are screened for likely 2024 voters, think the country's in recession. Yeah. They're not talking about going into recession. They're in they recession. They think we're in it. Yeah. And they think the economy's getting worse, 64 to 30. This is right before wow. Christmas. Wow. So inflation, and when we asked about inflation, over 80% said inflation has impacted them personally. But the bad part is 42%. It's impacted them to the point that it's affecting their ability to pay for, you know, basic necessities that they need. And that's when you think about it, like even just driving here to the radio station today, mm-hmm. drove by, I'm in Manhattan and driving by the, right outside the Lincoln Tunnel, there's a Baptist church. There's a line for a food bank. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, this is one of the richest places in the world and we've got more people lining up for food banks and food banks around the country are saying they're stressed that they don't have the resources. And it's because, you know, for Christmas... People are going to the store and they're finding that the price of meat is double. 
They can't afford things that they wanted to buy. And, you know, there is a problem for those of us who are old enough, and I'm significantly older than you. But, I don't think so. But remember, there was, du- I am. There was <laughs> double-digit inflation in the 70s. I remember that. And, you know, you had gas lines, you had double-digit yeah. inflation. Yeah. And people, you know, as soon as you got money, you spent it because you couldn't afford the mortgages with double digits. Yeah. And... You know, to be headed back for there is really bad. So So, uh, so with so many people believing the country's on the wrong track, there was a poll that just came out. It wasn't one of yours. It was a CNBC poll that says that people don't like Biden either. So wrong track is high. (laughs) 70% of Americans don't want Biden to run in 2024. 57% of Democrats don't want Biden to run in 2024. Why... And we don't have to spend too much time on this because it may be a little bit old news, but why didn't the Republicans do better with these facts? They missed an opportunity. And our firm, among the members that we work for around the country, every You're talking about Congress members. Right, Congress members. Every one of them got reelected. So either you pick a winner or you're brilliant. No, we work for the right people. But we did advise the challenges we had and the ones that were running for, like, you know, Nassau County inside out. Yeah. We were working for Anthony D'Esposito and George Santos. And right. we also had Michael Lawler, who uh, yes. beat Trump, Patrick Maloney and in Florida. We worked for two Republicans who flipped Democrat seats. So we flipped five seats, but we ran aggressive campaigns based on, you know, your pollster is Jeff Pollack is yeah. one of the smartest Democrats I've ever met and worked, Very worked against. And we've done bipartisan projects together in the past. But he was talking about their strategy to make it a choice election, that you're really picking between the Democrats or the Republicans who are extremists and MAGA mm-hmm. Republicans mm-hmm. and wrong on abortion. Well, we ran our campaigns to make it a referendum on Biden mm. so that I could tell you that in in places like where we're running campaigns in Indiana, Florida, New York, Alabama, Biden was 60 to 70 percent disapproval. And we helped it along. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we helped get it there. And Nassau County, he's like a 60 percent disapprove and he oh, won yeah. the county by 10 points. Yeah. But it's because we ran on precisely on the effects of inflation and his government spending is increasing inflation and crime. I mean, he supports cashless bail. I mean, he said it in his gender equity plan. He supports releasing criminals without bail who come back on the streets. And us in New York know this better than any other place in the country. Although it's spread to Philadelphia, it's spread to Los Angeles, and they recalled uh, Chesa Bodine in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. precisely because crime's out of control. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we run aggressive offensive campaigns. Jeff is used to running aggressive offensive campaigns, but the Republicans missed a huge opportunity. I don't know how any Republicans incumbents lost. Three of them did. Mm. Um, some of it was due to redistricting a little bit because in New York, we got a favorable plan after the court ruled. In other states, the Republicans didn't. But still, I look back on our old polls in 2014. We've been taking a post-election poll every two years. Mm-hmm. And in 2010, when we took the Congress, the number of people who voted Republican who said that they were voting against the Democrat as much as for the Republican was equal. Mm. It was about 50-50. To send a message. Right. So there were, this time around, most of the people voted Republican. Three quarters were saying it was for the Republicans' policies. Hmm. They didn't run a challenger campaign. Hmm. And I can tell you in the districts that we had candidates, they ran an offensive challenger campaign to say, you know, the country's on the wrong track. It's their fault. Right. And they're to blame and you got to vote them out. Right. And we wouldn't let it become a referendum. 
did you do any work? I for mean, a choice. A election. choice. And it's we funny because Biden was always say, this is a, I forgot what it was. He said, this is a choice, not a referendum. So clearly that was something that he, was in. He the, was on message. Yeah, He was on message because <laughs> he said it all the time. And maybe he wasn't so stupid in the end to talk about the whole MAGA Republican because everyone kind of said, oh, why is he sounds like a ranting person? No. But, but that was strategically smart in hindsight. It, it was because we could see what they were doing was they were, one, shoring up Democrats so they didn't lose Democrats. Right, getting and, the base. And then secondly, they were turning them out. And like Jeff and I in that post-election panel with Cornell, he was talking, because I, I said to him, I said, well, you ran that campaign at Mike Lawler and we had to negate it. He said, well, MAGA, he, yes. he said MAGA Mike was, it was broader than that. It was all these other things. And I was like, no, you were heading with Trump and we had to hit you back with Biden. So it was that simple. And it was smarter than a Trump Republican because he seems to be receding from the conversation. And MAGA encompasses, I think it means more to more people. It, it inspires more. Not really. You don't I think mean, so? Trump, I think Trump is, we're going to see it now where the, even as we speak, you're going to have this January 6th report come out Aye. from that kangaroo yeah. committee. because it's going to be interesting. Oh, let me tell you. that, And it's all Those about stopping. Those hearings were fascinating. Wherever you are on the issue, I found it incredibly interesting. Yeah, but to me, it was like there was no... To me, it was rigged because there was no pro-Trump members of Congress allowed to sit on that committee. So mm -hmm. you had two anti-Trump Republicans mm -hmm. who left Congress. They couldn't run for re-election. And you had Jim Jordan wasn't allowed to sit on that committee. Yeah, Jim Banks. True. To me, it's like that was not fair because there was no other voice. And the Republicans are supposed to release some counter-report to it. But the crazy part is it polarizes the country unnecessarily at a time when people have real problems. Yeah. Because the vast majority of voters want to move on and they want to solve the problems we have right now because when yeah. you look at it, the border's out of control. Crime's out of control. The inflation is headed out of control because they're going to spend again. The national debt is out of control. And the president of the United States cannot stop the war in Ukraine. To me, that's the greatest failure right now because those of us who grew up, you know, post-World War II, baby boom generation, there was a Pax Americana. Mm-hmm. There's no Pax Americana anymore. I mean, the, if anything, us Republicans question Biden being on the payroll of the Ukrainians and the Russians mm -hmm. and the Chinese, mm -hmm. while Hunter's laptop story was suppressed. Mm -hmm. You wonder about the corruption of this because he's talking a good game and he is sending money, spending money over help the Ukrainians. Yeah, he's been firm on that. But, you know, having worked for Donald Trump, I know that when Trump was president and there was intelligence that Putin was looking to go into Ukraine again after he'd been into Crimea. Trump told him, if you do that, I'm going to bomb Moscow. And mm. and that's been reported since then, so mm -hmm. I can talk about mm -hmm. it. But it's kind of crass that he said that that way. But the reality is they feared and respected the United and States. And Putin, I mean, I'm not a shrink, but he's a crazy man. I mean, he thinks this is his country. You're not going to get to him with reason or diplomacy. No. no, the only way is the world is a dangerous place right now. And having yeah, I do a lot of, that way. I do a lot of work in Europe, work in Hungary for Prime Minister Orban, work just did work for uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu to get him back in office. And you've worked with the Conservative Party in the UK. Right. And the Conservatives in the UK. And we do work in other democracies, only democracies, only places where they don't shoot the pollster. <laughs> And I think Putin shot his pollster a long time ago. Yeah. Doesn't matter in his system. But the crazy part is when you look at North Korea, when you look at China, when you look at Putin, you know, you have these communist dictators and Putin is a communist dictator. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was KGB in, in the Soviet mm -hmm. Union. They don't believe in democracy mm -hmm. and they don't. And what they're looking to do is they use force 
we still have a ballot box that's important. They use force to, you know, get their goals and aims and everybody, all of them want to see the United States decline, which yeah. is scary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you talked about Hunter Biden's laptop. Just like I watched the January 6th hearings, I also read Laptop from Hell, mm-hmm. which was a fascinating yeah. read. And it hasn't, I know that it hasn't been denied that the, what's in there has, no one said that's not true. But do you think that that's a similar kind of distraction and way to divide, to focus on the laptop? Or do you think there are really things in there that connect to what you were just talking about in well, the I, Ukraine and in China, et cetera? I think we need to look at it because I think there really are. I mean, I'm politically, I've seen this. And, you know, I mean, when you were county exec, you came in after corruption was a problem for the local Republicans. Correct. And that was discovered and that was a problem. And... You know, fortunately, my side of the fence had a zero tolerance for it since that happened. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the country, they keep going after Donald Trump, and it looks like they corrupted the FBI. Uh, I mean, these Twitter files. What's really interesting— The Twitter in, files are fascinating. Yeah, in our December poll that we just put out, only 39% of all voters are aware of the Twitter files. So it's going on again. Think about it. The Sunday morning talk shows don't talk about Elon Musk's emails. They attack Elon Musk for what he's doing at Twitter. But the mainstream media and big talk are not covering that story. They're not recycling the emails to see what went from the FBI. And they were saying it was Russian disinformation, which has been proven to be a lie. That's right. Now, why do you think that is? Do you think it's intentional? Oh, yeah. They wanted to stop Donald Trump. I mean, let's let's face it. But meanwhile, they created him. Let's be honest. He was great for ratings. I know someone told my mom actually told me that Les Moonves said, oh, keep this guy on. He's great for ratings. You know, head of CBS. Like, little did they know they were giving him a platform to speak directly to people who liked him. Oh, it was better than that. He was the highest rated primetime evening TV show in the country, Celebrity Apprentice. That's right. They, Everyone forgets they, they, that. They, he was sold for 14 years to the entire country as a leader, right. as the guy in charge. Right. And he was the highest rated reality TV star in, a, in an age of reality TV. And so he was created by the media. Yes. Yes. And he was created by them. But they disagreed with his policies. What they didn't realize was at the time when he was, you know, succeeding in New York and real estate, they thought this guy might be a liberal. At times he was a Democrat. At times he was an independent. That's right. And then he evolved into a Republican where his core gut instincts are that of working class Americans. Mm -hmm. And so issues to him like illegal immigration and trade. He transformed the Republican Party from a party of country club Republicans into a party of working class voters. And the elites in the country (laughs) responded by, we got to get rid of this guy. Right, because they thought there's no way that this clown could ever be president. Everyone is as smart as we are. No one could be so stupid as to fall for that. Little did they know that they're completely out of touch with the people that they're talking to. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We saw it in the polls. I mean, people thought I was nuts. I was in Manhattan that day and had to speak to the Farm Press Corps on 42nd Street. And Which day is this? This was Election Day in 2016. 
and and I got up in front of two hundred members of the foreign press corps or something. The State Department asked me to do, and I think Jeff Pollock may have done the week before for them. It was like a UN sponsored thing, and I said, "Well, Trump could win today, and it's going to be very close, but he could win." And some journalists got up and said. Well, don't you think there'll be a lot of soul searching for the Republicans? I said, no, not really, because if Trump wins, we'll be fine. But it was, and he won. By, and by the way, there was a call he made to me right before Christmas of 2016. And he was saying, thank me for the election. And I told him, I said, uh, I was honored to work for you. And i stuttering because I said, I have to call you Mr. President now. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, it was a huge win. And I said, no, it really wasn't. I said, we didn't make you pay for a landslide. It was 78,000 votes out of 130. 39 million cast. Mm-hmm. And so when I hear silence on the phone, and he comes back and he says, no, it was a big electoral win. I said, no, Obama had more electoral votes. <laughs> but he says... Was it hard to tell him that? Uh, yeah, because then I really heard silence on the phone and I said, but you know what? It was a historic victory because no one ever mm-hmm. before defeated the Republican establishment because they tried to stop him and then went on to defeat the Washington establishment. I said, maybe Andrew Jackson. Mm-hmm. And... You know, when I went to visit him in the Oval Office, there was this portrait of Andrew Jackson over <laughs> over, his, <laughs> over his desk, and I'm thinking, it's a good thing I didn't tell him he won two duels. <laughs> but <laughs> but it was, but it was seriously, it was a historic election in that you had an anti-Washington revolt and an anti-elite revolt, elites mm-hmm. revolt from the heartland. And the worst part is now when you look at the numbers in our current polls, and you and you say. You know, among likely voters, they think the economy's bad and they think it's going to get worse. And they see lawlessness at the border. They see lawlessness on the streets. And, and they, Title 42 ending this week is going to make right. that hot top of mind. Yes. And, and what are going to be the ramifications? I mean, we already have Mayor Adams here in New York City talking, saying we need more support. We need more help. We can't handle this by ourselves. Is that going to happen in other places? You know, and you have this from a Democratic mayor. Right. And then you see the disconnect where Washington decides we're going to issue a report from a bogus January 6th committee that is one-sided and partisan and doesn't help people in their lives. Right. So, you know, and if they move to refer and indict Trump, they're going to make him stronger, just like oh, the rate of yeah, it'll, it'll give him oxygen. Yeah. And every time they do something like that, his numbers get stronger in the primary. Yeah, make a martyr out of him. And this co- is what they're doing to us. Because this December poll we had, it, when we asked him, should Trump run again, 61% of Republican primary voters, including independents, said yes. When was this? This was just now? December 14th. December 14th. Wow. And, uh, 61 uh, yes. of Democratic, of, oh, I'm no, sorry, Republican. Of, of Republican primary voters said that he should run. Right. He should run. And if he runs, they said they'd support him 77 and 19. And he was leading a field of 13 candidates, 48 percent of the vote 23 for DeSantis wow. and one-on-one DeSantis he wins 58 36 now it's a long time I've worked other presidential races yes. it's a long time it's very early between now and when the primaries the, the Iowa caucus starts but Trump voters this was a poll of likely voters likely general election 2024 voters not adults not registered voters and Trump voters represent in the actual elections that's why the the media polls often underrepresent them And then all of a sudden, the last two presidential elections in the battleground states were extremely close, where Mm -hmm. you had 78,000 that we won by in 16 and 44,000 that we lost by in the three states. Arizona was 10,000, Georgia 11, and 20,000 in in Wisconsin. So you're going to have the same kind of disconnect with Washington again. And if things get worse, I mean, if the economy really does not improve in 23, people are going to look at Trump when he was president and say that 
you know, things were pretty good. The right. buyer's remorse will sink in. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's, it's, I'm old enough. I volunteered for Reagan's campaign in 76. Mm. And everybody was disappointed he didn't win. And then they said he's too old. He's too right wing. <laughs> yeah, right. And he, he can't win. And he'll blow up the world. And he won. And he was a good president. And they're going to look back at Trump and say, you know, I don't like his Twitters. I don't like his speeches. I won't watch his rallies. But the economy was right. growing. I hear that America from a lot was of strong. And, but the results were good. They don't want to. There's a personality performance gap. Right now, most Americans approve of the job he did as president, but they don't like him personally. Right. So. I know. have a friend who is a big Trump supporter. You know, he has a, a hockey jersey with Trump on the back. You uh-huh. know, he loves him. And I like your friends. You I know. Isn't it funny? I, I have a very eclectic your mom sounds group great. of friends. My, mom is, my mom's a lot of fun. She's great. <laughs> it's actually her birthday today. Good. Happy birthday, Mom. <laughs> I'll tell her you said that. But he's like, you know, I love Trump. I just don't want him to run. Mm-hmm. So are you, as a Republican pollster with Republican clients, you may have a presidential uh, client mm-hmm. nominee. You're, you're going to have a lot of folks in the House who are running. Are you hoping that Biden is the nominee for the Democrats? Is that good for you? I don't control it right now. He's only getting 22% in our national poll. And again, it's not a national primary. But he's trying to change the order of the primaries for the Democrats where they award delegates. He's moving South Carolina up. South Carolina, you know, made him. Clyburn saved him last time. He had lost up until that point until they hit South Carolina. So it's interesting to me that they're positioning him to run again. But if he doesn't, and and they want to move up Nevada and Georgia after it, so they're positioning their order of awarding delegates, which the Republicans will not go along with. So Mm. we'll we'll have an Iowa caucus, we'll have New Hampshire, and we'll come into South Carolina. But if Biden doesn't run again, although I do think he's running them. Do you? Yeah, because... Why would you upset the whole order of the primaries mm-hmm. and upset voters in New Hampshire, upset mm-hmm. voters in Iowa? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's their industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every four years, mm-hmm. their, their economy gets goes up. Yeah, why would you get them all furious I mean, I if mean, you're just going to walk away? In New Hampshire, there used to like 20 presidential candidates in each primary, and they shovel your driveways yeah, to get votes. right. So <laughs> they're serving your like, coffee at the diner. <laughs> yeah, so it's like they're going to be really upset. So I think they're doing it so he can run again. But if he doesn't run again, It'll put them in a position where the African-American vote will decide the nominee. Mm. And, you know, that's very significant because the Democrat Party is shoring up their base. And so it makes it hard for the Gavin Newsom's of the world and the other candidates that want to get in if they change that order and the delegates follow that process. So, you know, anything can happen. And the thing is to expect the unexpected. But the tough part is... American people are going to look for somebody who's going to make their lives better. And What can you do for me? Do you get me? Do you understand what I need? And what is your plan to right, help me with that? Right. So it's, it's going to be an important year positioning. But yeah. then when the actual caucus hits and the primaries start, it'll be very interesting and very volatile at the time. Coming back to New York State, you did work for Lee Zeldin, right? Yes. Did you think there's a theory that I've heard out there that if the governor's election were 10 days earlier, he would have won? Because the polls started to really tighten up. And, you know, you know the quality of these polls better than I do. At the talk, you guys were talking about, quote, unquote, garbage polls that, you know, <sighs> that have an agenda or from someone with an agenda. But the t- it was getting tighter and tighter. And then I feel like the, it was a real wake-up call for the Democrats because they thought they had it. They realized they didn't necessarily. So then they called, you know, the Bidens and this one and that one to come and campaign with them and rally the base, get the progressives, call them, get their people on the doors, et cetera. 
Do you think there's any validity to that, or was it just impossible in a two-to-one Dem Republican registration state? Well, remember the first, the narrative for most of the year for Governor Hochul was that Lee couldn't win, that it was a Democrat state, they had double-digit leads in the polls, 17%, 20%. There was no way Lee could win. We knew the opposite because the issues were so urgent, particularly cashless bail and certainly the economy, more so upstate than downstate. But it's, you know, it depended upon the turnout because the turnout ended up being lower than it was four years ago where it was less than 6 million voters at 5.7 million. Yeah. But enough Democrats came out. Yeah. And the point, you know, did we peak too early? And they could see us coming. They changed the narrative. It went from he can't win to all of a sudden it was like he's a Trump guy and he's wrong on abortion. And at the end, because New York State is 50 percent Democrat and in a midterm turnout, Republicans are someplace between 25, 30 percent of the turnout, including the conservative party. Hmm. Well, we were maxing that out in the final two weeks in the polls. Every vote that we needed to win was a Democrat. And it was in New York City. Hmm. And so the Democrat turnout machine, the the unions and the there mm-hmm. other nonprofits, et cetera, mm-hmm. they got enough of the vote out in Manhattan and Brooklyn that they were able to beat us. We got 30% in the New York City, area, and we did well in Queens. We mm-hmm. did better than expected in the Bronx. Staten Island was a blowout, mm-hmm. but it was Brooklyn. We were winning certain Jewish neighborhoods, Yeah, um, but she was winning the African-American neighborhoods. So that's, you know, I mean, Lee ran a great campaign. It was the toughest loss. It was the one I wanted to come in, Yeah, but and he worked really hard. We overcame a tough primary. There were polls saying we we're going to lose the primary to Andrew Giuliani. Some polls had us down to, we, we had Oh, I remember. I saw them. Yeah, we had a 21-point lead in May. We ended up winning by 21 points. We had $15 million spent against us. But he ran a great campaign and threw it all. And he was attacked on the campaign stump. Some guy tried to kill him. Yeah. His daughters were home studying, at, you know, in Long Island, where he lives, where he grew up in that suburban neighborhood. You had a shootout, gang members shooting in the front of his yard. And so you think of the... You know, I spoke to him that day. I was like, he was going from a Columbus Day parade in the Bronx back home. Mm-hmm. His girls were home studying, and there was mm-hmm. bullets flying on the front lawn. It was crazy. So, so, and this, so. this crime issue is really, in fact, in my next podcast, I'm going to be speaking with someone who helped craft the bail reform laws. And I'm really interested to get her perspective, not just on what's happening with crime in the city, but also the political fallout for Democrats in New York State. I mean, the interesting fact is in New York State, All 62 counties saw Republican gains in this past election. And I think the the crime issue had a lot to do with that, especially on Long Island. Your instinct is exactly right. Now they want to have a special session to give themselves pay raises. Yeah. They ought to fix. By the way, if they had fixed. I think there's too much peer pressure from the progressives for people to do what needs to be done, in my opinion. I think Eric Adams... Is ready to go. I yeah. don't know if any of the other Democrats have his back on this. I mean, people who've listened to my podcast might be sick of me saying this, but he's stuck with these laws that he didn't pass, and he is the man. He is responsible for public safety in New York City. That's his job. You're exactly right. You had reservations when you were running for re-election. And yeah, and I came was... out in, t- in 2019 against these laws, knowing... Oh, we only have two minutes. I can't believe it. Knowing that this would hurt public safety. I was concerned about it. But anyway, go on. I don't want to interrupt you. No, no, no. I I was listening, but, you know, you realize, like, Trump did make changes to the federal laws. Remember, they had, they reformed the 
some of these laws to that people who had like been arrested for drugs and et cetera that had reformed themselves, they were letting out again. But they weren't letting they weren't letting out cop killers. They weren't letting out people with gun charges. And you call them progressives, I call them socialists. The socialists that are Soros funds have an agenda to basically people you're bringing in for gun crimes, they're letting them out. And, you know, there's a different interpretation about what these laws are doing. Mm-hmm. But the reality every day in New York, when you just go look, read, see the news, and worst part is you know people that ha- this is happening to. Mm-hmm. When you know friends and family. I, I have police members, New York City police members in the family and stuff, and, you know, other police that they take their lives in their hands every day. And they, they're seeing criminals that they locked up being let out, and they know these are bad people. So That's right. And I think Democrats make a mistake when they don't take people's concerns seriously. They don't really hear them, or they think they're, they're just being manipulated by reading the New York Post, not trusting their instinct and trust, trusting their experience. I think that's where we go wrong. I think what you do is you say, I hear you, I get it. And this is what we're going to do to fix it. And it's okay to stand up to people who disagree with you. I mean, that's politics. You're always going to have people who disagree with you. It's not the end of the world if someone's angry with you. Yeah. You said it exactly right. They got the first part right. Yeah. They haven't fixed it. Yeah. And they're just giving it lip service right now. And it's it's too important. I agree. Well, John McLaughlin, I had like 47 more questions. But unfortunately, (laughs) I feel like a shrink. Our time is up. But I hope that you'll come back. All right. Well, I, as ha- things really heat up. In the meantime, have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you and, too. And, Thank uh, you. I will be back. But, Excellent. But it's like, but it's going to be an interesting ride. It's going to be so interesting. Oh my gosh! I mean, I can't even contain myself with sus- the suspense is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. Because sooner or later, the vo- voters are always right. The voters are so smart. Yes, they and, really are. And in the words of Ed Koch, the people have spoken. Mm-hmm. Now that now they must suffer. <laughs> you, got it. You, you remember that quote? <laughs> That's what I said after my uh, my last election. <laughs> That's probably where I saw it last. But it's like anyway. It's a good one. But it's a pleasure. Have a merry Christmas. And thank you, John. Merry Christmas. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for coming in, listeners. Thank you for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. <laughs>